Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about why magic mushrooms evolved to be magic in the first place and new research that changes what we thought about when kids develop theory of mind. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Some mushrooms are magic, if you know what I mean. That quote-unquote magic comes from a molecule the mushrooms make called psilocybin, which has hallucinogenic effects. We've talked about psilocybin on the show before, but we have yet to answer an important question about it. And that is, why do mushrooms make it in the first place? Well, we're not the first to ask that question. Researchers studying the evolution of psilocybin wanted to know too, and they found something a little weird when they looked into it. There are 50 known mushroom species that produce psilocybin, but they're not all related to one another. Typically, a complex trait like psilocybin production is found in related species because it evolved in a common ancestor. But in this case, it seems to have been acquired across multiple genetic lineages. But that's not to say that each species evolved it independently. Instead, the evidence suggests that psilocybin evolved in one species before being passed along to others through a process called horizontal gene transfer. That's where genetic material is passed from one species to another through either viruses or by picking up DNA in the environment. That's something that happens a lot with bacteria, but rarely in fungi. Psilocybin must be important if all these unrelated species stole it and continue to produce it, especially since it's costly to make. And it is important because it's used as a weapon to defend against the arch nemesis of fungi and picnics alike, ants. The species that produce psilocybin tends to survive by decomposing material like dung and wood that falls on the forest floor. And that means that they not only have to defend themselves from ants that eat mushrooms, but also ants that eat wood and dung. They're fighting a war on two fronts, and psilocybin is a powerful weapon in that fight. Because psilocybin targets neurotransmitter receptors, ants that ingest it will at the very least change their behavior, say by becoming less hungry, but at the extreme end, they might experience an ant version of a hallucination. Scientists aren't sure, but whatever psilocybin does, it's undoubtedly effective at tripping up anything that comes its way. How old are kids before they start to imagine what other people are thinking? According to a new study from a team of psychologists, the answer we thought we knew might be wrong. And they figured this out by putting a twist on a classic experiment that explores a concept called theory of mind. To understand this idea, imagine you're a preschooler watching this scene unfold. A kid named Maxie walks into a room carrying a chocolate bar. He walks up to a table with two boxes, one blue, the other green. Maxie puts his chocolate bar in the blue box and leaves. Once he's gone, Maxie's mom comes in, takes the chocolate bar out of the blue box and puts it into the green box. Then she leaves. Finally, Maxie comes back into the room to get the chocolate bar. Here's the question for you. Where does Maxie look? Researchers have been asking four- and five-year-olds this question for decades, and about 90% of them say that he'll look where he put the chocolate bar originally, the blue box. 
That makes sense because Maxie wasn't there to see his mom move the chocolate bar. For many psychologists, this is proof that the preschoolers can imagine what Maxie is thinking. In other words, they've developed theory of mind. But that might not be the right conclusion. A team of researchers recently added just one more element to the experiment and found some surprising results. Maxie still puts his chocolate in the blue box and his mom still moves it to the green box. But there's another box on the table, a red one that doesn't get touched. As usual, Maxie walks back into the room looking for the chocolate. When four and five-year-olds were asked which box he would look in first, only half of them said he'd look in the blue box. The other half guessed the red box. The researchers take this as evidence that four- and five-year-olds haven't actually been imagining what it's like to be Maxie. Instead of a theory of mind, these kids are using what the psychologists call perceptual access reasoning. The kids seem to be working off of two basic beliefs. One, if you can't see something, you can't know it. And two, if you don't know something, then you'll always be wrong about it. That's definitely a logic, but it's not theory of mind. According to the researchers' interpretations of their results, the 90% of kids who got it right when there were just two boxes weren't actually imagining Maxie's thought process. They just knew that he didn't know the truth. That distinction was invisible to psychologists when there was just one wrong answer. The researchers found that kids start reliably imagining what Maxie is thinking just a bit later than we thought, at six or seven. The five-year-olds didn't know what Maxie was thinking. And it turns out that we didn't know what they were thinking either. I know what you're thinking right now, Ashley. It's that we should recap what we learned today. That's right. Also that I want lunch. <laughs> but we'll start with the recap. First up, the hallucinogenic compound in so-called magic mushrooms, called psilocybin, probably evolved to fight off ants and other insects that compete with mushrooms for food. Scientists think it changes the insect's behavior, maybe by making it less hungry, or maybe by making it hallucinate too. Many unrelated species have acquired the compound, so it must be pretty effective at what it does. There's a lot to say about mushrooms. I have been an amateur lover of mushrooms as of late. There's a lot to learn about them. And uh, I, I think we should caveat this by saying that it's not necessarily the only reason they evolved it. Sure. Yeah. This is this is a, a the most recent leading theory that we have found. Yes. Yeah. But just the way that mushroom networks operate underground, right? The way that they're like computer networks, basically like high speed internets. The way they plug into like trees and all the rest of our ecology. I mean, like there there are so many things we are gonna learn about mushrooms in the coming years. And I think we're going to be really surprised by a lot of them. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're just like plants. It's like roots. It's like whatever. But I'm telling you, man, the effects they have on such a broad range of things, you know, it's uh, there's mushrooms are very fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. They're like little plant like aliens that aren't <laughs> plants. And there's a long history of mycophobia in many cultures, basically the irrational fear of like fungus and mold, which makes sense because like fungus and mold are associated with decomposition, associated with death. Um, there are certain undertones that people are uncomfortable with with mushrooms. But hopefully we can start to look past that and more researchers can get involved in looking into their surprising medical applications and more about like what's the deal with this psilocybin stuff and how it affects humans, why it affects humans the way they do and 
all that stuff. There's just, to me, Ashley, we've seen a lot of like black hole stuff lately. I think we're going to see just as much when it comes to mushrooms. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And we also learned that kids probably can't imagine what others are thinking, which is something called theory of mind, until a few years later than we originally thought. That's because a classic experiment that seemed to prove theory of mind in kids had a flaw. It turns out that instead of kids imagining what a character in a story might be thinking, they were just using the logic that a person who didn't know something would always do the wrong thing. And that's not quite theory of mind. Almost there. Almost there. You'll get there. Just keep just keep kicking around till you're older. Child psychology is so fascinating. It's like if you took adult psychology and you and you broke it up into its constituent parts and then you took some of those parts away. Like that's, you know, we we understand more about just human psychology in general when we learn about kid psychology and I think it's so great. Here's what I know about child psychology. My baby's first word is no. <laughs> and it's the only word he'll say and he says it nonstop. And I'm not a fan. I don't think this bodes well. This is not a good sign. I'm joking. I know he'll grow out of it, but it's still not a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) Not a good milestone at this moment. Yes. Not not a thing that I love at this moment. No, no. I'd like him to get to the yes phase. That'd be nice. Today's writers were Cameron Duke and Grant Curran. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. Kids can probably imagine what I'm thinking, and it's that I'm going to tell you to join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. 